The reading is taken from Matthew chapter 5, verses 1 to 12. Now when he saw the crowds, he went up on a mountainside and sat down. His disciples came to him, and he began to teach them, saying, Blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled. Blessed are the merciful, for they will be shown mercy. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Blessed are you when people insult you, persecute you, and falsely say all kinds of evil against you because of me. Rejoice and be glad, because great is your reward in heaven. For in the same way they persecuted the prophets who were before you. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you that your word speaks to us. Speaks to us in our own context. Speaks to us through eternity. And we ask that your word would speak to us now. In Jesus' name. Amen. Amen. So a new term, a new <coughs> sermon series, and we want to spend time, as Colin was saying, this term, thinking about God's kingdom. We had a little bit of a launch of that last week at our all-age service, where we begin to try to understand what the kingdom is. And we're going to be using some passages from Matthew to help us throughout the term. We want to explore what the kingdom looks like. We talk about God's kingdom, but what do we mean when we talk about that? What does God's kingdom look like? What does it mean for us to live as part of God's kingdom? So over the coming weeks, we're going to be thinking about the kingdom as a place of hope. If we live in God's kingdom, we live with hope. We're going to think about how the kingdom grows. Lots and lots of parables talk about the growth of the kingdom. What are they telling us? What are they saying? We're going to think about the upside-down nature of the kingdom. Jesus came and made people think in a different way. And there's a sense in which God's kingdom is upside-down from the way that the world exists. We're going to think about that. We're going to think about how God's kingdom can clash with other dominant rules that we have in our world. What are the values of the kingdom? What is the future fulfilment in God's kingdom? Last week, I showed a clip from Dead Poets Society where Mr. Keating, the teacher, came and taught in a very radically different way. And in this boys' school, was thinking about how the boys could understand things in a different way. He taught English and he made them, he turned it upside down and put it on its head and made them think about it in a different way. And the clip that we watched He jumped up on the table and he says, you know, don't always look at things in the same way. 
jump up on the table, have a look around, see things from a different perspective. And that's what the kingdom of God makes us do. If we just think we've got it sussed, we've lost sight of who God is and what his kingdom is like. We should be constantly jumping up on the table and trying to see things from God's perspective. So it's going to be an exciting and a challenging and inspiring term as we, as we literally or metaphorically jump up on the table. Maybe we should actually jump up in our pews and actually think about what is God saying? How radical is God? Have we made him safe? His kingdom is dangerous. It's radical. Let's see that and let's understand what he is saying to us. So we're going to make a start today. And we're going to think about what it means to be kingdom people. If Jesus is our king and we've worshipped him as king today, we belong in his kingdom. We belong on the earth as well. But we belong in the kingdom of God. So what does that mean for us to live as kingdom people? And we're going to use the Beatitudes to help us understand this a little bit more. So if you want to follow, it's page 968. It's Matthew 5, verses 1 to 12. The opening of the Sermon on the Mount in Matthew. Matthew starts with this um, teaching that Jesus gives, where really what Jesus is doing at the start of his ministry is saying, I'm going to lay out what it means to live in the kingdom of God. And then he goes on, in Matthew's Gospel later to to follow that up and we see it in practice. But we have some very strong teaching at the beginning of Matthew's Gospel that says this is what the kingdom of God looks like. This is what it means to belong in the kingdom and what it means to be kingdom people. And he starts with this interesting thing called the Beatitudes. Now the Beatitudes don't just exist here. They existed in Roman and Greek worship and they were quite common So Jesus again was using something that was known to the people and saying, let me explain in a way that you will understand, but let me show you how different this is. So in in Greek and Roman worship, they would have lists of beatitudes, things that made you happy. If you do this, then that. You will find happiness and contentment by doing this. And a lot of it was about good things, prosperity. And yet Jesus immediately is switching things. Because this list is really quite difficult. You will be blessed, you will be happy, if, and there's a list of things that are really hard, that you wouldn't choose to experience. That was unlike anything else that was being said at the time. And think what our society is saying. We don't have lists of beatitudes, but we have messages that come. And the messages that come are saying you will find fulfilment, you will find contentment when you have more, when you are more successful, when you are doing well. And all of the things that Jesus goes on to say do not fit with what we instinctively think of as ways of being blessed. Now I want to think a little bit about this word, blessed, because it's very hard for us to translate exactly the word that Jesus is using. In this version it says, blessed are the poor. In other versions, it might say happy are the poor. Neither of them fully gives that total understanding of what Jesus is meaning because we've put different connotations onto those words. 
We sometimes think that there is a prosperity gospel that says if you follow God, if you follow Jesus, your bank balance will never be, um, there'll never be a problem with that and you will never have any suffering in your life. And we know that isn't true. We know that to be followers of Jesus, to belong in the kingdom of God, we are not immune to the bad things that happen. So that's the first thing to get straight. Happy is to narrow a word as well. The way it helps me think about this a little bit more is that what Jesus is talking about is the deep inner joy that we experience when we're living with Jesus. So we will experience that deep joy, that deep contentment, that deep peace, whatever word helps you think that. It's not a glib, you'll be really happy. But you will have something deep within you that brings satisfaction, that helps you to be fulfilled that brings you peace, that brings you joy when these things are happening. Now, the other thing that I've done a big shift on the Beatitudes over the last few years, I've come back to them time and time again. But when I was growing up, I used to read them and I thought it was a very sort of flat statement that was happening. There was a list of people who would find this deep joy by virtue of who they are. And to some extent, again, that is true. And this might, I'm trying to, I hope I make sense in what I'm saying, but trying to see the way in which the words are phrased, I've changed how I see it. So rather than it just being the blessed are the poor in spirit for theirs is the kingdom of heaven as a, as a factual thing, we have these people who are poor in spirit and, and this is what will happen to them. I slightly switched how I view it. And how I see it now is Jesus saying, This is a description of how you will be if you are living as my people. So it's a slightly different emphasis. So if you are living as kingdom people, you will experience all these things, the kingdom of heaven, the rewards, because the way you are living is in this way. So in some ways, I'm afraid to tell you, it's a description of how we will all be living if we are living as God's kingdom people. I used to think, well, you know, there's the orphans, there's the widows, there's the the poor, there's the the people in Africa. Not me. And, you know, how do I find these things? Do I have to become like them? Actually, the way I see it now, that these are traits, these are characteristics, that if we are living as God's people, we will see grow and develop within each one of us. So what is Jesus saying? Let's go through them. I hope that will make a bit more sense as we go through. That actually what Jesus is saying, if you are living lives with God, then these are the things that you will be experiencing because you are living as his kingdom people. So blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. Who knows they belong in heaven? Because that's the reward. That's, what, that's the consequence of living like this, is knowing that you have a place in the kingdom of heaven. Who knows they have that place? Those who know their need of God. If we live as God's kingdom people, we live as people who know we need God. Self-reliance is out of the window. We come as God's kingdom people on our knees in need of him. And the more that we know our need of God, the more we sense where we stand in the kingdom of heaven. So, kingdom people know they need God. 
The world says be self-reliant, particularly in our culture in Great Britain today. But kingdom people, people who have Jesus as king, it's turned round. And if we live as kingdom people, we live reliant and dependent on Jesus. And we know that without him, we are nothing. That's quite a statement, isn't it? But that's what we say. And the reality is, if we know our need of Jesus in our lives, we know we belong in the kingdom. And we get deep joy from that. So when I went to Uganda, and I saw people in desperate need, and I thought of their situation compared to mine, and yet saw within them a much deeper peace than I've ever experienced, I think, why is that? Because they know their need for God. Because their need is so great, they have to rely on God. And in relying on God, they find within them a much deeper peace, joy, fulfillment, contentment, because they know they need God. So how do I live in Wanish, knowing I need God? Because when I live like that, I experience the joy of living in the kingdom. Blessed are those who mourn, for they will be comforted. Again, I thought that was a very factual thing, that, that those who mourn because of the circumstances that come upon them will be comforted, and there is a truth within that as well. But there is also something, that if we let Jesus grow in our lives, if we draw closer to him, if we see him as king, we are going to mourn more and more. Because we're going to see the world through Jesus' eyes, and our hearts will break. So if we're living as kingdom people, we will be looking at the world as Jesus looks at it. And Jesus looks at the world and aches and pains and grieves and mourns. And that's what we will do. So we will turn on our televisions at night, we will watch the news headlines, and we'll ache. We will ache because we see that God's kingdom is not reigning as it could. And when God's kingdom doesn't reign, There is war, there is sadness, there is torture. We will grieve when we look at the world through Jesus' eyes. We will become people of compassion. But as we stand there with Jesus, we will know that we are with Jesus in that and we will sense that comfort from him. We don't stand alone in grief, we stand with Jesus as he looks at the world and grieves. And we stand together. And together we sense that comfort as we mourn for what we see around us. Blessed are the meek, for they will inherit the earth. There's a huge irony here. Who's going to inherit the earth? Those who don't believe they deserve it. What an irony there is to the worldly mind. Because if we follow Jesus, we're surrendering. If we are saying that Jesus is king, we're giving over our lives to him. And as we surrender, as we give up, we gain so much more. The more we surrender, the more we receive. 
Again, it's a thing that is upside down and hard to comprehend. But as we experience it, we know it more and more in our lives. The more we surrender, the more we receive of God's blessings, of all that he wants to show us and give us. Because we live with him, the more we surrender. And as we surrender, we live humble lives. And we model Jesus. Jesus came to serve, not to be served. And if we live following him, our lives will model that too. So we will become more and more humble. But as we do that, as we surrender, we receive so much more. Because we receive what God has for us. Blessed are those who hunger and thirst for righteousness, for they will be filled And I'm afraid to say there's a sense in which living in God's kingdom is uncomfortable. It's not an easy ride at all. Just in the same way that we will continue to grieve more and more as we see as Jesus did, we will hunger and thirst for righteousness. They're not comfortable feelings to be hungry, to be thirsty. And that's why Jesus is using those words. There is a sense in which we have to have that that level of discomfort if we're living in God's kingdom. Because we're going to hunger and thirst for the kingship of Jesus. We want him to reign. And we're going to ache with longing to see justice and change. We're going to want to do the right things in our lives. When it comes to confession in church, we're going to hunger and thirst to be able to to live our lives more in line with Jesus. We're going to look around and where there is injustice in the world, we're going to ache for that to change. We're going to hold on to the perspective of God's kingdom. We will hunger and we will thirst, but we will be filled. We will be filled by the power of the Spirit because we're standing with Jesus in that hunger and that thirst. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall be shown mercy. We know, as kingdom people, what it means to be shown mercy. Because in surrendering our lives to Jesus, we know we don't deserve his love. And yet we experience it more and more. And the word we use for that is grace. As kingdom people, we live in grace. And as we experience that, so should that flow out from us. And so we should be people who show mercy. We should be people who forgive, even when that's really hard. We should be people who show love when it isn't returned. We should be people who, as Jesus says later, love our enemies and pray for those who hate us. We need to learn to operate out of grace because we have received the grace from God. And that isn't always easy. But as we do that more and more, we understand what that mercy is more and more in our own lives. And we can stand in the power of what God has given us. Blessed are the pure in heart, for they will see God. As kingdom people, we should be growing in holiness, shaping our lives in the way that Jesus lived. 
Our inward state needs to impact our outward state. So as we long to be pure in heart, so our actions will be shaped by that. So we'll be people where the fruits of the Spirit are visible. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. As our hearts become right, our actions follow. And we're able to see God more and more. Because the holier we become, the purer we become. The fewer the barriers there are between us and God. And we can know that sweet communion with Jesus. Blessed are the peacemakers, for they will be called sons of God. If we're going to be part of God's kingdom, there needs to be a family resemblance. And Jesus is the Prince of Peace. So if we're part of his family, part of his kingdom... We need to share that resemblance. So we need to be peacemakers. And that doesn't mean being nice. I think too often the church has been too nice. But actually, peacemakers isn't about being nice. It's about being standing up for peace. It's about being willing to face conflict. None of us want to face conflict. But it's about actually dealing with conflict in a, in a good and appropriate way. I'm really pleased that the church is getting stronger on this. I'm going to be going on a course in two weeks' time um, called Bridge Builders, which is about conflict resolution. And the fact that clergy are now being encouraged to go on courses to deal with conflict. I don't have matters of conflict, but actually being trained in how to deal with conflict. At last, the church is waking up and saying, part of who we are are people who take this seriously and get the tools and be equipped and not shy away from it. In every congregation there is conflict and we're stupid to pretend there's not. But how are we dealing with it? If we are sharing that family resemblance of being peacemakers, it doesn't mean that we all agree all of the time. It doesn't mean that it's easy to live with one another all of the time. But it's about saying we're going to deliberately tackle this and deal with this. And we stand on on the case of the world as well and we look out And we should be actively working to bring peace where we can do that. Perhaps writing to our MPs, perhaps supporting various charities, whatever it might be. We become peacemakers because we belong to the family, because we are sons and daughters of God. Blessed are those who are persecuted because of righteousness, for theirs is the kingdom of heaven. This is another family trait. If we're going to be sons of God, if we're going to be sons and daughters of God, if we're going to have Jesus as our king, we will share another family trait. Jesus himself was persecuted because he spoke out against what the culture wanted him to say. And as kingdom people, we need to be prepared to do that. We won't be persecuted if we don't stand up for what's right. But if we're standing up for what is right... At times that will be difficult. In our workplace, in our homes, in our schools and colleges, in the world sphere, if we stand up for what is right, it will not always be popular. But if we're living as Jesus did, that's what we must be willing to do. Because we know where we belong. We can do it because our citizenship isn't here on earth. Our citizenship is in heaven. The kingdom of God beginning here on earth but being fulfilled in heaven.
quite heavy, isn't it? What a way to start. But actually, if we're serious, we've got to come to terms with some of this. Living the Christian life is the most wonderful thing because we know God in our lives. Belonging in God's kingdom is where we want to be. Living as God's kingdom people is going to take a bit of work and a bit of effort and a lifetime of growing and developing. One bit of comfort here. The Beatitudes are not written to the individual. They're written in the plural. Originally, Jesus was speaking to his disciples and his followers gathered around him. His first Christian community. And he's saying, actually, this is what the Christian community needs to look like. And so we can read this as Jesus saying to us as a church. If you are a church as part of God's kingdom, these are the traits that you will see. And as these traits develop, these are the things that you will experience, the promises and the hopes that you will experience. And so today I want us to think about this as being spoken to us as a church. As a church living as God's kingdom people, these traits will grow and develop. It's too much to think of it for me alone. I'd go away and think, well, that's it, I can't even do it. But together we can do that. Together we can support one another, we can help one another, we can learn together, we can pray together, we can trust in God together. Because we don't become these people, it's God in us, moulding us and changing us so that we become more and more like Jesus. Stephen Croft is the Bishop of Sheffield and he wrote a book on the Beatitudes. And in it, he talked about how it was shaping the church. And he said, the church is not first and foremost a human organization, but a community called into being Jesus and intended to reflect his character and nature. So we are a community called into being Jesus. And Jesus is describing who he is. And as such, we are intended to reflect his character and nature. So together we become kingdom people and together we share in the promises of all that God has in store for us. I want to end with a prayer that was written by David Adam who's a Celtic spiritual writer. And this is, this is really hard because we look at this and again our 21st century brain will say, I've got to go and do better. What am I going to do to make this better? And it's about coming back to God and saying, Lord, if you are going to do this amongst us, we first and foremost come to you. And this is a prayer called the furnace of God's love because it's only in the furnace of God's love that anything can happen and we can be changed. So let's pray. Lord, I am poured out. I come to you for renewal. Lord, I'm weary. I come to you for refreshment. Lord, I am worn. I come to you for restoration.
Lord, I am lost. I come to you for guidance. Lord, I am troubled. I come to you for peace. Lord, I am lonely. I come to you for love. Come, Lord. Come, revive me. Come, reshape me. Come, mould me in your image. Recast me. Recast us as this church in this place. Recast us as your kingdom people in the furnace of your love. Amen.